What do you think has been the biggest driving factor in that 9X? Branding, probably. I think of business within fitness different than I think of business at scale. I think business at scale is very like large-scale systems in that you're typically looking at manufacturing, what's your product, how does that product fill a hole in the market, and then like what is the value to that customer on a short-term duration, right? Like how can I scale very quickly? Fitness is like a long-term play if you're doing it from an education coach background. Um, like how do you develop a culture and an environment that people want to be a part of? And then how do you provide value that is not only value for that individual now, but it moves them up a level in whatever their interest is. So for us, it's either A, physique development at the highest level or B, coaching at the highest level. And so like that brand culture that's been created around that has been probably the biggest driving factor. And then it's just systems that allow for the scaling to happen, right? Like one of the biggest value adds is like having other people to do the work that I don't want to do, right? So that I can focus on like the coaching and the brand building and all that kind of stuff. So like like Clinton has been like one of the biggest value adds for us. He's our videographer. Yeah. He handles everything in regards to like social media content production, all the equipment for our podcast, like editing everything that we do, like even the courses, like the courses that have released on J3 University. So like the female module and the AHO, everything that we do moving forward, like that's him, man. Like it that doesn't happen without someone like him because it allows me to spend the time like reading all the shit other people don't read to translate that into educational material that then like moves the coaching business forward right because my main problem with like the education sphere within this is like education for education's sake so like just spitting out facts i want to develop an educational system that's like pulling from that and making better coaches and so like that brand development comes from coaching at the highest level so me winning shows consistently on a week-to-week basis but also educating at a level that other people aren't and being able to answer questions that other people aren't as well all of that stemming from my one goal is to leave this industry better than I found it. So like I want everybody that I hire as a coach under me to have Olympians. Like we should be there as a team with me coaching Olympians, them coaching Olympians, like winning pro cards on a yearly basis and people who are leaving those educational events doing the same, right? Like that's not going to happen within that six month, one year, two year time frame of them, but them attending events as we go through improving that product over time, man, that's like you create someone that's in the system for everything that we do. It's like a lot of those people that were there, they've taken J3U, they've taken the female module, they've taken AHO, they've taken our post-show module, they've coached with me, John, or Cal, and then now they're wanting to develop their coaching business. It's like you're getting six points of contact from that one individual, where now the standard that they hold themselves is the same as the standard that we hold ourselves, and then the standard in the industry raises. So brand building has probably been the biggest thing for, for me. Makes a lot of sense. Come back to what we are talking before we started the podcast, start recording. You mentioned you had a bit of a rough introduction into the fitness industry and bodybuilding. Yeah. It sounds like an interesting story. Yeah, it's it may, may not be so much interesting. It's more so like what people are willing to do to create a result with a lack of understanding. So just like some of the recommendations that were given to me early didn't come from an understanding of like just the reality of PDs, right? Me- mechanistically, how do these PEDs work? Like why are we deploying XYZ, X duration from time to show, are they fitting the goal of that athlete? And are they fitting the risk profile of that athlete, right? Because that's kind of where a lot of coaching goes south really quickly. Because 
like I mentioned, like the self-invested nature of the fitness industry is they don't see that person as a person. They see that person as an opportunity to develop their brand and they only see it as an opportunity to put someone on stage. So it's not asking the question of what's best for the client. It's asking the question of what's best for the business. In my experience, if you always operate under what's best for the client, the client outcome is always better. So they're winning more often. They're more likely to win and they're happier with the service that they're, you're providing them because they're going to be very, very invested in the culture that you've built. And then the LTV of that client is like six, seven, eight, nine years. And you're taking someone from competing in the amateur ranks to competing in the pro ranks. And you're allowing them to take it to the level they want to go. Because not everybody wants to be an Olympian, right? Some people just want to win their pro card. And that's their end goal in life, right? Some people like my wife, like they got into it thinking they wanted to compete at a high level. And then they do it at a high level and realize that it's not for them, right? you've got to be able to scale that model of approaching nutrition, training, PEDs, specifically PEDs more than anything to that risk level of the athlete. And my introduction to the fitness industry was coming from a place of XYZ did this, so we're going to do this. And it's, that's, that's where my main problem is, is self-invested decisions for the client and not understanding where you're coming from, from a, a coaching perspective. It makes a lot of sense. Do you think this is something that starts to change within the fitness industry? It's moving in the right direction. I think you have more people that are more focused on developing coaching systems rather than like, rather than just doing what other people are doing. So we have more innovative thinking going on. This is why John and Cal are probably two of my closest friends in the industry is like the things that we talk about behind closed doors are like changing the decisions that we're making as coaches for the better, right? It's it's not like I had an athlete, uh, a wellness athlete who won the overall at her show this year. We were gonna go do a pursuit for a pro card, but she was actually pregnant. She got pregnant during prep. And I sent that athlete to both John and Cal, like, hey, like she's eight weeks out, but I think she's ready for a stage because she was running way far ahead. And they both like kind of gave me some feedback and I made the decision to alter that show period, won an overall. And then we found out that like she was pregnant right after. And it's like, if I don't talk about what's best for that client, this client ends up prepping for like 18 weeks, potentially has a miscarriage, right? I'm not operating from the place that I know she's pregnant, but like it's not extending that because we were planning to do that show, right? And while the show may have been a light, slightly bigger show than the show we won, it's like, man, it's like doing what's best for the client because it would have allowed her to do the qualifier, pull out of prep for a bit, and then push on to the pro card, which when you talk about coaching females is manage that dynamic is really important. Do you find, obviously, you've obviously done a great seminar last three days in Dubai at the Dungeon Gym. Mm. You spoke a lot about having a lot of structure and reverse engineering back goals. Do you often find you have to be quite fluid with that as it goes, like an that circumstance someone's way ahead of where they should be very much so I, I i tell my clients it's a dynamic document like this is the ideal we don't always operate in the ideal that's the reality of coaching which is why you've heard me say coaching systems like these systems are meant to flex across different people so if you're not flexing that system across different people you're not coaching like think about the development of uh like AI, like artificial intelligence, right? Like if we're dealing with numbers only, it's something that something like AI can do, right? The value in a coach is understanding how these systems apply to 500 different applications of that system. And the psychology of the individual And involved. the psychology of the individual that's involved. The, that's the interesting bit, I think. That's the differential that separates coaching from just AI. Because like, man, you could go on chat GPT and you could type in, write me a diet for 3,000 calories with five meals, including these 
these food items and it'll sit there and write the whole plan for you. It's like, how am I different than that? And it's like, I'm different than that because I'm developing an athlete from where they are into psychologically the best athlete they can be, execution-wise the best athlete they can be, and deploying compounds relative to the risk they're wanting to take. That's what differentiates numbers from a coaching system. So then we take that coaching system and we apply it to every client we work with. That's where we move the industry forward. And that's why I talk in systems like rather than numbers most of the time makes a lot of sense now here's a good topic say i think a big issue most guys struggle with is obviously putting on mass muscle mass mm. included say for example i come to you at 215 pounds and i'm like i've got two years i want to put on as much muscle mass as possible where would you start so that risk model is like very high right so this the, the starting questions are around like what are your gaping holes so kind of like the needs analysis yeah. i went over in the podcast right like you do the physique breakdown and the structural breakdown and then you match the program to the structural breakdown and the presentation of movement for that athlete relative to what we need on stage according to the judging criteria but we also need to take a look at like the psychological profile of the client and that's from everything from how organized that client is, what is their day-to-day habits, what does their job look like, what's the flexibility in that job. Psychologically, have they had issues in the past? Like, are you having eating disorders? Or have you never made it to contest shape in a contest prep because you can't handle the stress of prep? Has that happened because these preps have been ran so fast and not done well from a coaching perspective? All of these things that now, like, when you talk about a system, like you create habit formation things within the, the plan that make them a better athlete psychologically in an organized manner, potentially addressing past eating disorder issues or whatever like that psychological profile is. It's rarely eating disorder. A lot of the times it's more like discipline-based and more habits, more habits-based, right? Like an atomic habits type of a thought process. Um, that's where it starts. And then from a plan setup, it's like, okay, set the client expectation. So you said 215 was the client, yeah. like as big as you want to be. So let's say open bodybuilding, five foot nine individual, that's top of a heavyweight class stage condition or super heavyweight. So you're talking about on stage, like between 225 and 240. That's like a six year process, probably, man, like four to six years. And it's like, unless you communicate that, they're looking to get on stage next year. Too year, fast. Too fast, right? So that's where it starts. And then like, then it's numbers. Like then it's like the easy stuff, like the X's and O's of coaching. Like that stuff to me is not very hard. What's hard is creating a new system for every person that you work with. Because that comes into like emotional intelligence and where are they on Maslow's hierarchy of needs? And then where are they from a pursuit of like a passion for the sport? An example of this is I had a client I prepped this year literally came to me. Same thing you said. I want to be the best classic physique guy that I can be. It's like, okay. I was like, this is the reality of that, right? He's like, yeah, I'm down. I was like, okay. So plugged him into prep, really good prep. Won his class, lost the overall to a really good athlete. But it was the first time he'd been in contest shape. And the gap between that was his stage condition last time was like nine weeks out on this prep. So you can imagine like nine weeks of being somewhere psychologically that you don't know what is to come. And like for people who haven't prepped, you won't understand this, but like the <laughs> the psychological need for dopamine and any kind of satisfaction within those last phases of prep is so extreme. He went through it, won his class, best he'd ever been by miles. And he's like, yeah, I'm done. It's like, this is not what I thought it was. And that is because of social media, right? Like development of businesses and development of coaching comes from a, partially from a lot for a lot of people glorifying the process. Like 
loving that moment on stage. And for some people, they do love it. Like, and that's fine. But I find that most people don't truly love real bodybuilding. There's some aspect of bodybuilding they like, and so they get into it because of that. But they don't really truly love the sport in and of itself. So, like, for this guy, it was, he loved training, but man, like, the pursuit of actually dieting and competing was not for him. It's like, that client system for him to actually win at a high level starts with him. There's nothing I can do to develop that because he doesn't truly love the process. I'm smirking because it makes me laugh of, I competed in mid-November, and it's fucking awful like like it's I hadn't competed for like four years it's, it's fucking shit there's no way. <laughs> my girlfriend's sitting over there and I was an arsehole for <laughs> and uh, you can't sleep you just feel crap all the time yeah. and, but I, I sadistically enjoy it so like part of it's because I like pushing myself mentally and physically as much as I can I think some people are either wired that way as like they quite like suffering and there's probably a weird sadistic and probably some issues with that mm. um, do you find most people struggle more with prep or off season prep yeah it's just all encompassing man like off season you can build in things that are enjoyable for the client um you can do that in prep too that's not that it's just even at that stage where you're three weeks out four weeks out if you're actually on track you can go have a sushi meal and feel great for the two hours that you get that dopamine hit you wake up the next morning you feel like dog shit again right like it's just the reality of being that low in body fat right so that's where i typically find people fall off with the process is because they see Bumstead and they want what like Chris has or they want what, you know, anybody in the industry within their favorite class has right at the top level, but they don't realize the behind the doors that it takes to get there. I'm laughing because what you said about sushi meal happened to me probably three, four weeks out of the show. Yeah. Where I was like, there's a photo somewhere on my phone of me holding a bag of sushi, probably like the happiest kid, the guy in the world. And that's why I'm laughing. And like literally the next day, I was like fucking back to normal again. Like, like you just literally like I did nothing. And I'm you just like still, still see that personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That personality you haven't seen in yeah. like three months comes out. And you're like, oh, this is why I'm with this guy. The first time I smiled in <laughs> weeks. It's like, <laughs> It's, uh, it's funny, I have a good story. So I prepped my wife, or I used to, she doesn't want to compete anymore, but she missed her pro card by one point at Universe. And uh, when she did that, she made the decision that she wanted to extend her prep to the next pro qualifier. The next pro qualifier was four weeks away, which was six days out for me. So I made the decision to stop my prep so that I could be all in on coaching her for that pro qualifier. So we went out to eat that night and I'm like having food, right? And enjoying myself and laughing. And I had a lot of my clients there. We had a whole group that went with us. And uh, Josh, who I was talking about before, uh, and his wife Hayden were with us and they were sitting next to us. And he had only been coaching with me for probably about four or five months at that point. So basically I'd been in prep the whole time. And I started eating and my personality started coming back. And Hayden was like, who the fuck are you? She's like, you're always walking around with this like angry face and you're so serious and you're sitting here like cutting jokes and laughing and like the biggest personality at the table. And it's like, you don't realize how far it pulls you down. Cause like prep for me is like the food. I, I don't care. Like I don't really want to eat. It's not the food that bothers me. It's like the interpersonal relationships. Cause I'm kind of like a extroverted introvert. I gain energy from being around people, but my morning routine by myself is like that recharge time. So as long as I have that, I'm good. So like I get a lot of energy and, and satisfaction from being in a group environment. I don't have that when I'm in prep. Like I'm just so pulled down. It's like, I don't want to be like, don't touch me. Like my wife tries to cuddle me on the couch. I'm like, just get away from me. Like I don't, I don't want to be touched right now. Right. You know? Yeah. I think you almost want to become like a Shaolin monk and just <laughs> never yeah. leave. Right. And I think that's one of the things you said interestingly in uh, the seminars and like one of the issues of people coming out the back end of that is then they're trying to like ingrain a society and it sounds like they're coming out of prison. 
it's like actually managing that situation is quite a difficult one mm. it's very easy for people to suddenly like you go from extreme structure and like you almost can't fuck up because you're so structured to then like off into the free, real world do whatever you like and yeah. that's where people go unstuck yeah I think I think the reason I'm so detached from food now is because early on I was so attached to food like I associated having fun with the food that was at the event so now like from a coaching system I've pulled myself out of that I know what it takes to do that so everything that's built in that again that athlete development is built around detaching that athlete from the food involved with the event and like progressing them through the stages of learning that fun doesn't happen just with food food happens with the people that you're around which is like we're talking about like i'm so specific about the people that are in my little core circle or that i'm around on the day-to-day that strictness of that core group came from understanding that my personal satisfaction and personal uh fulfillment in life comes from enjoying what I'm doing and the people that I'm doing it with. And so ever since I've made that realization, like this whole thing of bodybuilding that I love so dearly has completely changed for me because it's like, it's always about what is giving me fulfillment in that moment in time. And it's always, what am I doing to progress the industry forward and the people that I'm getting to do that with? Do you find you get more fulfillment from your own coaching than training and progressing yourself now then? Yeah, it's funny because I've actually been in that conversation of quitting bodybuilding right now, which is hard because I've put my bodybuilding not on the side, like I'm still executing at a level that is way better than I did earlier on in, in my bodybuilding career because of that detachment of like to food and that kind Removing of stuff. Removing emotion from process. Removing emotion from the process, right? But it's like the amount of fulfillment I get out of winning with someone else, oh, it's fucking wild. Like, I I just, like, I'm the loudest person in the crowd. Like, I get so excited, and I just don't see myself getting that from being on a stage myself. Because I've been, like, in the bodybuilding realm for... 10, 11 years. So like pursuing that for myself, which is where my original introduction into this industry was. Um, And then I started my coaching business in 2016 and fairly quickly got competitors, low level competitors, like regional level competitors. But I learned very fast that like, man, this is a lot of fun. And it's just like, I get so much more fulfillment out of that and events like this, man, like you don't realize like the amount of impact you have on someone until you change their life forever. And they contact you 12 months later, like you're the reason I'm doing what I'm doing now. Like I've had events where it's like you, you go and you teach and you're like, man, I did a good job, but I don't feel like I did what I came here to do. People are grateful or whatever. And they, they, they say nice things to you. But then you get that message eight months later that was like, if I wouldn't have been at that seminar, I wouldn't have scaled from 20 to 90 clients in one 10 shows this year. And it's like, wow, okay, so what I'm doing makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. It's just like scaling that now. And what does that look like in scaling? Interesting. I don't even find the same, but I find I get that from the business coaching I do, the fitness coaching business we have, that the moment you really need something, like you're like, what the fuck am I doing all this shit? <laughs> like the, re- the time you really need like someone out there to be like, give you some positivity, you randomly open your phone and you get a message from someone like yeah. the nicest message in the world. And it's like sort of gay, warm, fuzzy feeling that like you can't really express sometimes. I'm going to... I can see you smirking like because you think... So it's true, man. It's... uh, I was at the amateur Olympics and someone came up to me and told me they were working with a really big name coach who I won't name and they were like yeah like I'm gonna be honest with you man I don't know if I look as good as I do right now if I wouldn't change some of the stuff on my plan to the stuff you talk about in your educational videos and it's like it's like I don't want that to be the context of the situation but it's like stuff that I've put out as content that you don't realize how many people watch it or use it it's like okay so this is like that guy ended up 
I think winning his pro card later that weekend. It's like, okay, this guy is literally taking this information and competing at a very high level, pretty much on his own, right? Um, because you have a lot of people in the industry who use coaches for the name attachment more so than they... Like leverage almost. Leverage, right? Do you um, think that has an effect now? I think less so. I think if you ask that question like six years ago, absolutely. Like there's no doubt that the person you're attached to is very important for that process. I think now you have so many people doing it so well that it's it's not so much that you can put an athlete on stage at their best. And if they're the best on that stage, you're going to get rewarded. I think there's small pockets of it still where that, that game is really important, but Nah, not at this stage, man. There's too many people doing it at a very high level to to really warrant that being the case. What do you think has been the big driving factor in the, just the improvement of standard across the coaching industry or just becoming more fair? You mean like the less pockets of like yeah, yeah. the... Probably more fair in that there's more people that have their hands dipped into it. So it's harder to get away with like that under the table stuff, right? I think better coaching is part of it too. Like the coaching industry certainly has leveled up since I got into it originally, right? But I still think we're a long ways from where the coaching industry needs to be. I like almost like, and I don't know if John sees this, but like like the capacity to potentially turn that education that we do right now into a university-based course, like, man, the need is there. Like you could almost like create this certification basis of everything that we do in physique development that's like now the prerequisite of doing it at this level, right? The hard part is is you have so many people educating that it's like who do you go to, right? Too many different voices. And almost like you said about yeah. people going to too many different coaches Just, asking yeah. fifteen people what should I do? Yeah, so everybody's an expert now, which is frustrating because you get people who this is a pet peeve of mine. And this is why I detach from so many people at destination is uh educating when they've never won, right? It's like talking about contest stage condition and managing a prep and managing this and managing that when they've never actually put a winning athlete on stage. It's like, it's very obvious you're doing this to try to coach athletes because you haven't actually experienced that yourself, right? That's like a really big bother portion of... This is a good thing because this brings me to something I'm huge about. It's like, A, practicing what you preach and then theory and practice are two different things. The yeah. reality of actually fucking doing something. It's yeah, like, yeah. if you look at, say, Hadou Chupan won the Olympia, yeah. respectfully, like watching some of his videos on Chris Bumstead's YouTube, his training form is shocking. Yeah. yeah, he's got the best physique technically in the world. Yeah. You're like, and then you've got some people who are like so anal about like, I agree about the importance of execution and form, yeah. but to like some degree, some people put zero intensity and zero weight in it. It's like, yeah. there has to be some like medium balance in the middle where I think some people go like so far one side of the coin that they completely lose reality what, what, what's important. What's winning, yeah. right? What does winning look like? And winning does not look like the same thing for every person. It's funny because I used to be known as the guy like the execution guy, like the biomechanics or whatever. Uh, and I've probably less so known for that now because I've understood that winning doesn't always look like per perfect because that athlete knows there, there's things that an athlete does that leaves trails to clues of success for that athlete. So like you're going to tell me someone who has quads that are as, as big as Rami's is going to benefit from me improving his squat pattern to bias more quad it's like no probably not like what he's doing is working like don't touch it right so this is where like again like you get someone's telling a person that what they're doing is wrong and what they're doing is not what they should be doing like an outside voice from that little coaching camp when it's like maybe that coach's system saw something that left trails of success for that athlete that they're just letting them double down on there's there's cases in all my coaching business where it's like people could probably do some of the stuff they're doing better if you write it down on paper and in a textbook but 
but the outcome that's resulting from the way that they're doing it is winning. It's like, man, it's like, how do you change something that drastic that's winning? It's like, you don't. It's like when you create a culture, and this is why no, no off switch in the pursuit of results is like kind of the moniker for no switch fitness is like, it's no attachment to one thing. It's the attachment to winning. It's like, what is going to produce that outcome? And that's just not the same for everybody. Like, can you imagine telling Hottie how to do a single arm lap pull down because he told him his back wasn't good enough? It's like, he just won the Olympia. You probably should just go sit in the corner and shut up. It's a, it's a saying I love. It's like, a, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. And yeah. It like, doesn't need to prove anymore. Do you yeah. Know? You know, he doesn't have to. No. I think that's where even respectfully some people at your event were asking some questions. I was like looking at them and I was like, this is not a question you should really be asking sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes potentially they're in the development process mm. where they're asking the question to understand if it's going to be a big part of their coaching business. Because I try to detach like, um, question asking and content production from two separate things because question asking is coming from a place of wanting to learn so they just may not know what they don't know right to them it may be like that person producing content who's not actually winning is talking about this topic like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread they consume that content and they're like huh like is this actually what we need to be doing and then they ask that question in an environment like that and we disprove it and it's like okay for them that was that proof that's like you know myself winning across the year multiple times cal winning across the year multiple times john winning across the year multiple times and being on the olympia stage himself it's like not that personal career is everything that i have a lot of that's not proof of much in my opinion but when you look at that question and where it's coming from it may be from like they're three years into the industry and need to know what it's going to take to develop their business so like that question asking perspective is like yeah they probably shouldn't be asking that question because it's not going to actually be of benefit but maybe it's because they consumed content from someone that made it seem like that it was Something you said there, do you think there's a big disparity between people being great athletes and great coaches? There is. There's absolutely is. This uh, IFPB Pro is not a prerequisite to being a good coach. It's it's just not. Um, John's the exception, right? Like he's been as high as fourth at the Olympia, but from an intellect standpoint, John would run circles around anybody in this industry. And then from a coaching standpoint, he's still very good at his job as a coach. But nine times out of 10, yeah, like athletes are meant to be athletes for a reason. And just because they've won on a big stage doesn't mean they know why they won. Most of the time, they're not self-coaching, right? So they are not the background thought process of why we're doing what we're doing, there's a lot to it. And I think of it as like a, you ever seen a mind map before? Yeah. Where it's like, it starts at one place, but there's like 15 different destinations at the end. That's coaching, man. It's like just following the mind map of the best decision at each point and then finding the best destination of all 15 points at the end of that mind map so it's like does that athlete fully understand everything that goes into that mind map and every variation of that outcome that could potentially lead to a winning physique it's like probably not it's like yeah they've done it themselves but i think it's important for a coach to have done it themselves before but i don't think strictly winning at the highest level is the only prerequisite to coaching or even a good prerequisite to coaching for most do you think all higher level athletes need coaches I think John's proof that you don't, right? But I think John's also the exception in that. Anomaly, yeah. The anomaly. Um, I think so. Um, I think what it allows you to do is it allows the athlete to be an athlete. Uh, so I talked about in the seminar, like not sharing everything in the spreadsheet with the athlete because it's only going to add stress to the athlete because your role is to make them the best athlete they can be. There's obviously coaching situations where they want that mentor. And then you, you share that stuff with that, that athlete, right? Because their goal is not only the end outcome, their goal is like the learning side. But for an athlete to be an athlete at the highest capacity, they need to 
offload that responsibility of decision making because then you get into like decision fatigue and all that kind of stuff and that can affect the outcome so no i mean i i, I don't think you can have out athletes performing at literally the olympia level without someone behind there like pulling the pulling the strings i would agree because i think particularly as you get leaner you start to lose your marbles like mm. you, you lose your emotions in terms of how you think and feel so like one day you might be off the wall emotionally so like you punish yourself by not eating anything or whatever and you hammer yourself with cardio or yeah. vice versa someone might go off the other way where you think they're like too depleted and eat way too much I think that's probably for say someone like John you have to be so mentally strong to be able to to do that really like look from outside your own brain to control that John is the most objective individual I've ever met in my life and that's why it works for him I mean he has people that he trusts that he shares those pictures with to help him make decisions but he's still making those decisions at the end of the day right and uh you don't know john personally but from an objective standpoint man like the dude i i wonder if the dude has emotions sometimes because it's so objective and he does like he's he's a hoot to be around he's one of the funniest people i know but like when it comes to this stuff like he clicks that off and it's just completely what's in front of him no matter if it's him he coaches his wife renee who's been an olympian as well so it's like his ability to do that is the only reason that he's able to do it at a high level. And I think that's probably the biggest superpower you can have when you've got complete control of your, your emotions and the way you think and feel. Because I think that's probably what 99.9% of the population don't have, even more so with social media, because people are like pulled left and right all the time. But it's not popular because you hurt a lot of people's feelings when you're like that. I, I'm I'm very close to John from an objectivity standpoint. I, I'm very passionate about what I do. So there's aspects of that emotional like charge that drives what I do. But like the reality of objectivity is the truth hurts. And sometimes when people need to hear the truth, they don't like hearing the truth. Um, that's why like one of the things I repeated through the podcast is you hold your athletes to your own standard, right? You're the example of the standard that you hold your athletes to. A lot of that comes in your ability to detach from the emotional aspect of the process and be objective with where this athlete's actually going to be their best. For a lot of these people, like it's a longer process than, than they realize. And so, uh, that objectivity hurts a lot of people's feelings and is not necessarily overly the most popular thing in the world. But those people that can be that objective also win a lot. Do you think you have to almost be cruel to be kind in a lot of respects at the start of that mm. process to be like someone comes with you some huge goal, which they haven't got the genetics or the structure for? You have to be very frank about them. Like, this isn't the path you should pursue. Yeah, I think that's all in the initial conversation, because if they're not on board with that from the start, you probably shouldn't be coaching them. I, As busy as I am, I still do consults with the people that I onboard before I onboard them, because I need to know where they're coming from. It's not smart of me from a time efficiency standpoint, and I know that, but it's also probably part of the reason that I produce at the level that I do because I'm very aware of where that athlete is coming in um, and their attachment to that. So like you mentioned, like structurally people like attached to a class, like classic is the number one example of that. Like how many people you get that come to your door and they're like, man, I want to be a professional level classic physique athlete and they've got like a 37 inch waist it's like man that's not going to happen for you brother like you need to kind of move on to a different sport or maybe a different class right so like i'd be that example like if i had that desire to be classic physique like i'm just a gnarly white boy and i just get nasty and it's not pretty but i can compete on a bodybuilding stage because that's structurally where i can compete but that's sometimes not what people want to hear and you'll lose clients because of that but the clients that you do keep will win a lot more often when it comes then you've got a client who comes through who has a longer process what does the phase look like in terms of you mapping out that process over a year or two for example uh, I, I literally map out every single thing like i've i have some people who've come to me for like three four-year processes and like 
like those people oftentimes come to me knowing they need three to four years because it's very hard to convince someone if they come in with the understanding that or not without the understanding it's going to take them three or four years to convince them to take that time. So most of the time they come in knowing they need that. We'll pick a show date based off the calendar year from that year. I will literally map out every single phase from then until now under the ideal circumstances like family life happens people lose loved ones like trips go south and you end up stuck somewhere for an extra week but like that's that's life but you can still plan and so like i'll literally map out every accumulation phase every transition phase or baseline phase every potential mini cut based off where their starting body composition is and where i think they're going to need that no matter if it's a one year two year three year four year process and like we said at the start like it's a dynamic document so you change it as you go but yeah that what that does is it allows we talked about like not reactively coaching but proactively coaching it allows you to proactively map out the best plan that could feasibly happen and then just make the best decision on a week-to-week process and not keep that like three-year process out in your mind at all times it allows you to make those decisions week to week that are proactive in nature because you know what's to come makes complete sense i know you're a good friend of nick flock nick Loff, who's also been a guest on the podcast twice yeah has your thought process and training, how's that evolved over the last few years? And has it changed much recently? Yeah, it's, it's changed a lot from the inception of me like bodybuilding to now. Start with the traditional like bodybuilding split of like chest on Monday. And yeah, yeah. Training for me actually started with golf. So I played golf competitively for like 10 years, 10 and a half years. So it transitioned from like an athletic pursuit into bodybuilding. Did that get you into the gym? Yeah. Yeah, so golf was kind of the original reason. That and I was a really fat kid growing up. So it was like both like that desire to not be the fat kid and I felt like it would give me an edge on the golf course. Kind of pushed me into it at first and then I lost my golf scholarships and it was kind of like pursued bodybuilding full on. So it was very traditional bodybuilding where now it's like, I mean, you saw the training lecture I gave this weekend. Like I literally, when I map out something for myself or for an athlete, like the, this is such a non-answer, but the it depends is the reality of it because you get people that land on that spectrum of intensity to volume all over the place. And then you get structural presentations that are all over the place. And then you get movement capacity presentations that are all over the place. And then how you set that plan up is like dependent upon where they land on all of these aspects of that what class are they trying to compete in structurally what do they present as how do they move do we have problems in a movement analysis that we need to fix i think that's where a lot of it has changed is i used to be the person who thought this is the best thing to do for bodybuilding like externalize the stability get in a hack squat that's the best way to grow a quad it's like yeah maybe not for some people like i'm probably not the i'm probably the example of the hack squat not being the best movement for me for quad development it's like yeah mechanically it makes sense but like from a injury pattern reoccurrence issue it's not the best for me so i i, I don't hack anymore um, because of that and i've built resiliency where i could but it's still not the best option for me to the point that what has changed is that initial process that has now opened up the program design where like i coach like I think 115 athletes right now. I have like 115 different programs in my client structure that all have progressions that look different. Like on that spectrum of, if you want to use this spectrum of like high intensity, low volume to low intensity, high volume, like that land on that. Now, psychologically, I prefer low volume, high intensity. As a result, a lot of people resonate with my psychology and I get a lot of people who do well over here. So there is more of that on my roster than the other side but that's just a brand thing right that's just like what we promote because that's like when people ask me what am i doing like that's just what i'm doing right but yeah that's probably what's changed man um as i used to be very camp mentality ish and 
it's like talking to Abdullah this weekend. He trains full body six days a week, but he's been bodybuilding for three years, and he is a guy who will probably win his pro card next year. It's interesting. I was actually watching him training that day. I think I saw him doing like pendulum squat and then something else. I was like, what's he training? Like, it's like pendulum squat, that. and then he'll do a hamstring curl, then he'll do a chest press, and then yeah, yeah I saw that. Row. I was like, I was trying to work out. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's like I've had the conversations I had with that man this weekend about programming. Oh, it just tickled my fancy because it's like it's clearly working. It's like I, my goal in that conversation was not to convince him to change it it was to understand why he's doing it and how it's working for him it's like just it's it comes from like a, a minnow henselman's yeah, thought yeah, process yeah. but man it's just fascinating i don't know i just reminded of a story nick loft told me on the podcast before when it was like two years ago i think he told me that every time he went into the gym he put four plates on the bar and did a, a rest pause set of 50 reps Mm, that was and, like and his legs just fucking exploded that was covid time yeah. right when he had the fucking yeah. locker yeah. which like logically makes no sense yeah it it's like you're just gonna die but you have to, and you'd have to be psychotic to do it yeah yeah and but like man but knowing nick i love that human he is the most psychotic individual yeah, he's on this wrong, on this on this planet man like to have the the nuts and bolts to stand under like 780 765 or 785 whatever his back squat number was it's like that's a different human man like i've i've squatted some pretty heavy loads but it takes some salts to do that like Again, though, Gloff is built for squatting. Yeah, like wide, right? We joke, and this he he knows this, and he 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 laughs, but we call him the refrigerator because it's just like a big square that sits under a bar, and just his brace capacity is so good. It's just like short femurs, great dorsiflexion. Like he just he squats with a back squat, and his torso angles like this, right? That's someone who's built to do that. So it's funny though, because it's like I resonate with that psychology. Like that's the kind of person. Like I someone asked me a question, like, do I struggle being around normal people and i really do to the point that it's not that i i don't like them it's just i don't like small talk i don't like people who aren't passionate about doing anything at a high level and it's not that i like them don't like them from a personal perspective it just bores me to death and uh that's why i follow like i still follow golf and it's why i like jordan it's like i've watched that jordan documentary like probably 10 times but it's like Uh, this what that's the most interesting thing right it's the mentality and to also keep yourself going for so long at that level yeah like pressure and like you got nothing to prove anymore yeah i could give a flying fuck about basketball but jordan's the most fascinating individual i've ever like jordan and tiger woods are two of the most fascinating individuals i've ever like studied because it's like what is going on in here that allows them to do that golf in particular more than anything else i think when you think like particularly like putting or anything there's so much like most sports if you put like bodybuilding you put aggression into something you can almost improve performance Mm. you put like you know you put like i've played some golf put aggression into golf it fucking goes bad real fast it's funny you say that because people hear that i played golf growing up they're like how the fuck did you get into bodybuilding top golf in dubai while you're here yeah we actually are we're going tonight but we want to see some videos on this yeah i will yeah i'll send it we can put it up as part of the podcast we'll get that little square on the side with the swing but what they don't realize is like, yeah, potentially the athletic portion of it doesn't translate well, but this part does, right? Delayed gratification, long patience as far as like the progression of the process over time, solely dependent upon your actions on the day-to-day. The hours invested into it are very high in order to do it at a high level. It's like this stuff translate extremely well from golf to bodybuilding. And that's why it's like, barring like the personal issues that Tiger's had, like from like a studying an individual and the level that they operate, like that's what fascinates me about that human. It's like, it's unreal. So what makes people tick at that level? What makes people Mm. keep pushing themselves when they've got everything and nothing to prove? Even think the same thing in some respect to like Cristiano Ronaldo, Leon Messi, they're both like past 36, 37 now, but like they're still the best in the world. 
even at that age to keep pushing yourself to keep yeah. in that condition you've got all the money in the world you don't need to do this anymore yeah and so that's the question i ask myself is like what does that look like for me in order to leave the industry better than i found it and the reality of it right now is building events from an educational perspective and educational courses that allow people to level up and coaching at a high level and winning consistently that shows proof in the pudding but also shows that my education is not strictly to just spit out facts my education is to develop coaches um and that's just kind of where i'm at right now and and that's why, like, when I ask my questions about, like, if you circle back, like, how does personal bodybuilding serve that for me anymore? I don't know if it does. And I think that's a question that comes with age, with the risk to reward and also the time investment in things is how mm. much you get back from something. Because you stand on stage for 10 minutes, you get a shitty plastic trophy. Yeah. It's obviously different if you're competing at the Olympia level and there's money involved and more accolades, perhaps. Yeah. But even still, it's... yeah. Like, like what's an overall at a regional show and I was like, yeah, you get a little plastic trophy to throw up on your I got plenty of trophies like I don't need that it's like I need filming in what I'm doing it's hard though because like my personal pursuit of bodybuilding is what brought me into this and I'm really struggling with it in that my actions if you were to just like look at me without talking to me you would think like I was still pursuing competitive bodybuilding because everything from a day to day is still serving getting all my meals in training at the capacity that I do like doing all of that like prioritizing that to that level it's just been kind of recent with conversations with my wife and a couple other aspects where it's like don't know how much it serves me anymore do you think the enjoyment factors maybe just gone down for you i don't know if it's the enjoyment i love it like i still i I mean i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing in the gym if i didn't love it right like no one puts seven and a quarter on an atlantis pendulum and squats ass to grass with it without enjoying it right like that's a twisted screw to do that kind of stuff but i don't know if it serves my purpose anymore and like no switch fitness, no all switch in the pursuit results comes from my personality. I'm very like light switch in nature. Like if I want to do something, I'm all about it. I'm flipped on, right? If it's not serving that purpose of what I want to do, that light switch flips off and I don't give a flying fuck about it. And so like, I'm still in this dichotomy where my personal bodybuilding from a branding perspective is a part of the brand, but with the direction the brand is headed, it won't be for much longer. Um, It'll solely be coaching and educating. For anyone listening to this, I think the biggest thing people struggle with is mindset and mentality. How would you suggest for people to switch, flip the switch back on for those who maybe it's off after personal problems, injuries, or whatever it might be? I think it's what do you want out of it? And answering that question of your why is kind of where flipping that switch back on comes. And I think it's why a lot of people don't do coaching very long or when they get to a comfortable income level with coaching, they don't pursue scaling because they're really just trying to do something that makes them money. They can live comfortably. Like they don't have like a, a real why to or why vision. or a vision, right? Like, um, have you ever heard of... Uh, what's the test? There's a test that like big businesses use that classify individuals into the type of person that they are. It's like you have visionaries, you have doers, you have people like different aspects of type of people. And like oftentimes like leaders are visionaries more than they are like the in the trenches actually doing the work where it's like you see CEOs of businesses that are doing well and growing and scaling, but probably not doing a lot of the whole day-to-day work portion. They're like pushing the business to the vision that they have for the business. And I I just have a vision for what no switch fitness is that's really hard to serve if I'm trying to pursue competitive bodybuilding right so um, I think that's where like if you circle back to the initial logic for that of like flipping that switch back on for something you want to pursue really find why you're doing it because I don't think people sit with themselves very long like especially when people are like this like 95% of the time it's like how many times are you sitting in a lobby and you look around and everybody is on their phone 
Scrolling. Scrolling. Mindlessly. Mindlessly, right? People can't sit by themselves anymore. But the reality of that is, is some of the best thoughts about your personal pursuits and why you're doing stuff comes from that time by yourself. So I mentioned earlier, like I'm an extrovert, introvert, that morning routine of like me being by myself, nothing on, nobody trying to contact me is so important because it develops that vision. It's like those are the moments where it's like I see what I want to what I want to happen, and then it's like reverse engineering it because I think of this as like key outcomes and critical drivers. So if you find that why and you want to do something, what is that outcome you want to have, and then give it a time so and make it measurable. So that key outcome is what you want to happen. The critical drivers are the actions that actually drive that key outcome. If you understand that process of like critical driver one is the acute. Critical driver two is a little bit further out than the acute action. Critical driver three is an action that as you start to scale, that's what you get to that end outcome of maybe for someone that's just getting on stage or maybe for someone that's building like a a multi-million dollar business. It's like if you take that and just apply it to everything in your life, it's like now you operate in a place that's not emotionally driven. You operate in a place that understands that this is the process of getting to that end outcome. It's interesting you explain like that. That's because I find fitness and business are so similar and so overlapped. Mm. Once you understand one, it's easy to win in the other because you apply the same principles of like goal settings being organized being consistent you apply it to either of them you end up being successful i actually use that system to track my stats for my business so like what's the key outcome let's say it's like x amount of clients per month it's like what are the critical drivers that drive that it's increase per month conversions per month and then retention rate right it's like okay those are the critical drivers of that x per month like what do i need to do to 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 map out that critical driver and pushing it forward right and then it's just breaking things up into like uh pre-purchase, purchase, and post-purchase, where do you lack those critical drivers uh, that are measuring for the key outcome should tell you which portion of the process is failing. And then like increase, like increase is your pre-purchase strategy. Like how many increase per month are you getting? If you're not getting a lot of increase, there's something on pre-purchase that's going wrong. It's like conversions, that's your purchase process. Post-purchase is your retention rate, right? It's like, man, you have a stat for each portion of that process. It's like you perfect those three and it's like, then you really scale. You find the the bottleneck, whichever one's broken at the time. Same as I guess with your progress, your physique, training, nutrition or whatever, you try and work out which one's out of whack, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's very similar, right? I actually, it's funny, I talked about applying that to everything. In the needs analysis, I talked about like, where does this athlete lack and how do I develop an athlete? I do the same thing. I like, what's the outcome that I need for this athlete to be at? And then what are the actions that lead that athlete to having that skill I need them to have? And then that's just what I do. It's funny. It reminds me of uh, what you run in business is SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Mm. You do the same thing, I suppose, in fitness aspect. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It's uh, it's, it's, it's a concept. That's why I talk in systems and concepts and not, I used to be very numbers heavy. I have an engineering degree alongside my master's in exercise physiology. So like my baseline education is very numbers heavy, but the longer that I do this, the more I realize like the numbers are not going to matter if they don't fit in the system. It's like plugging a number into a program that's not the program's not calculated to actually do something with that number very well. It's the same thing. It's like, what is the, the input can't create the output if the system between it is not matched to that input. And then it's like just taking that to everything you do. To wrap up, Luke, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, find out about more about No Switch Fitness? You've got your own podcast, I believe. Yeah, so we have the J3 University podcast, which is me and John, and then I have the No Switch Fitness podcast as well. I've taken a little hiatus from it just with the level of travel I've been doing, um, but that'll be coming back on next month. So we'll be doing like one to two episodes a month. As far as reaching me, like the best way is typically uh, via Instagram on my links. I just have like all my inquiry links on there. 
which just reroutes you to the website to fill everything out. And then we'll get you set up with either myself or one of the coaches on staff that fits your process the best and go from there. Kind of like following content. It's either like the YouTube page, so No Switch Fitness YouTube, or Instagram, which is where you kind of find everything from there. Pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, everyone listening to the podcast, please make sure you leave us a five-star review and subscribe. Also on YouTube as well. We'll see you next episode very soon.